portrait of Jesus painted by Leonardo da Vinci sold at auction for an astonishing $450 million, which is, I mean, you can make half a Justice League movie for that much money. It's, so this is a painting. It looks kind of like he just put a beard on the Mona Lisa, but $450 million, it's by far the highest price ever paid for a work of art. Even the Jesus Christ in this painting is like, $450 million, Jesus Christ. We wondered when this you would know, happen. It's funny, once you start talking like this, you really, you just you want to continue. It's hard to stop, isn't it? It's, it really, no, it's I kind of want to do it, too. It's more fun than you think it is. It's like my kids when they do it at the dinner table. They like to do the talking out of the side of the mouth, oh, like mom and dad can't hear it. <laughs> you know, I wonder if we could have any Halloween candy. I don't know. You think we could? <laughs> we could ask. No, you fool. If you ask, they'll say no. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so you, you wondered when this was going to happen. I thought it would happen on a plane first or a restaurant, but it happened in a sorority house where you have a uh, one sorority, uh, girl who has a comfort dog and then another person that's allergic to dogs. And then you got to figure out, okay, who, who wins in this battle? Who's the more victimy? Yeah. Actually has happened on a plane fairly recently and they booted the gal with the allergies off. Oh, really? Not the person with the comfort dog. Yeah. Yeah. My memory of it was it was like a, a service person with a, with a completely legit comfort dog. I could be wrong. Well, but what about a legit allergy? What, why is that trumped by a legit comfort dog? Is there a reason for the... I don't think there are laws about allergies. Well, that's what the lawyer said in the sorority thing. Allergies are not valid reasons for denying access. You, you, the allergic. When will allergic Americans have our rights recognized? There aren't laws about allergic Americans yet. This particular comfort dog, if this is true, I don't have any reason to doubt it, but I've seen an awful lot of college girls on planes with comfort dogs, and I'm sure they've all got some story of why it's so important, and I just find it hard to believe. I think you just really like traveling with your dog. Now, this woman... I this, like dogs, too. This sorty girl might actually need this dog. She's got pretty bad anxiety problems, according to the people involved. And the yeah. dog is trained to climb up on her chest and push on her chest or something when she has a, a panic attack, and that's supposed to help. Wow. I that's wish a, I had that. That's adorable. It is adorable. Yeah. She also might be a college girl who really likes having her dog in the house. Just like she li- and she takes it to restaurants and on a plane because she likes having her dog everywhere she goes. And that's a possibility. And with the narcissism of small distinctions, she likes people saying, "Oh, it's a pretty dog," and she gets to say, "He's actually a, a helper dog for my anxiety." And then she gets to tell people about her anxiety, and then she gets attention, which is the way of modern America. But then you got the other girl <laughs> who's really, really allergic to dogs, and then say, and "What do you, what do you do? What do we do with modern the modern world?" I don't know. I don't have any idea. I don't know how we're going to fix this. Tear it down. Anarchy now. Anarchists of the world unite. Did all these people that now travel with their comfort dogs, do they, were they miserable traveling before? Or did they not travel? Well, I think most of it's bogus, so I guess I'm answering my own question. I think it's people who figured out, wow, I don't have to, I don't have to leave my dog behind. Sure. Because I hate doing that. Yeah. I either have to have, hire a pet sitter or worry about my puppy all the time. I can take my dog with me. What percentage of middle-aged ladies with purse dogs wearing a little blue coat are faking it? 90? 96? Stop me when you think I've got... <laughs> no, I was just thinking my wife put uh, our pug in a uh, infinity scarf the other day because it was chilly outside. I-, I can't believe this is happening. I uh, <laughs> The dog has fur. <laughs> I know. I need to point out it's an animal. Um, <laughs> uh, now, this, uh, this, this gal, this sorority gal, mm-hmm. with her anxiety attacks, I don't doubt it for a second. 
But does she have to have a dog? And and then, I don't know. I just, you know, you people tire me out. How often do you have these panic attacks? Can somebody else put their hand on your chest, or do you have to have a dog with well, you? Well, and I know people with anxiety problems, and it's it's not a joke. Can I make a joke, or is it not a, no, you can't make a joke? Well, yeah, you can make a joke. Okay, I was just wondering. I don't have a joke. I just wondered. Okay, just for, for planning purposes. Maybe Al Franken will volunteer to push on her chest. Good text. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you people are killing it. Today. So you thought of that? You're and you killing were, it. Hand me the piece of paper. Sean was jotting down on a piece of paper. Al Franken. Maybe Al Franken can will do exactly. the job of the dog. So Sean thought of the joke yeah, was writing like the it wording down, of the listener trying better. to hand yeah. it to be, me. Beat me to it. Well, <laughs> congratulations, sir. Yeah, we have, well, well done. We have a team of people jotting down jokes they hand to us through the show. Sure All we, we do. do is stand here and read them. If it's pretty, only. It's pretty awesome. If only. Uh, where was I? Oh, so, you know, look. Not I just, a joke is where you were. Here's here. That's right. It's no joke, Jack. Here's the problem. You have a legitimate uh, challenge. Neurological, emotional, whatever. Uh, some of this stuff can't be helped. I want you to not be miserable. I'm perfectly fine with that. And if the dog helps you, I think that's really good. But what if, you know, it took a horse or an elephant or three elephants or, you know, let's take it to the extreme, three elephants in a fighter plane um, to follow you around to help you with your anxiety. Obviously, that would be incredibly disruptive to everybody around you. It's just unmanageable. It's undoable. As a college girl, I grant you the dog helps you. But is that too disruptive to everyone around you? I, I don't. We had a terrible lack of compassion as a society at times in the past, where you know partly it was lack of understanding of some some of these things. But we would cut nobody any slack for anything. At this point, you got a freaking menagerie on half the flights you're on. We might have gone a little far. Yeah. I, I I would think that sorority could. I would think the gal with the dog would just say, all right, I'm going to live in an on-campus apartment. I'll be there all the time. But does she have to bring her dog with her all the time? It's a tough call. I I think if you are that incapacitated, maybe you don't get to be in her sorority. I don't know. Right. I'm Um, sorry. I really am. Right. Uh, I'm thinking of a preschool situation we were in where um, there was one kid that had some problems, legitimate problems. But it made the preschool experience much less enjoyable for all the other kids. And I'm guessing much less educational. Oh, yeah. So so what do you do as society? Are you doing the right thing by allowing that kid to be in here? Or are you doing the wrong thing because all the other kids are having a, a lesser experience to accommodate that kid? Well, once again, I recommend you read the book Under Dogma, which is really thought-provoking. You know, John Stuart Mill, Jack, and I'm always talking about the great philosophers. You are. Um, he believed essentially, and and Mill fans are going to kill me for this, but, you know, the utilitarian look at it, what's going to yield the most utility, the most happiness, satisfaction, et cetera, for the most people? Um, You know, and you can't lapse into overt cruelty. If 10,000 people would really be amused by watching me kill an innocent man, I'm not going to do it. But, (laughs) you know, in that that, that, uh, preschool class, the answer is really not hard. You've got to find something else for that lad. And I say that with a great deal of compassion for him and his parents. You can't ruin the experience of 25 kids. Well, I have a kid that might be that kid uh, going forward. 
And I definitely wouldn't think, no, the whole class needs to have a lesser experience to accommodate my kids' problems. Yeah. I don't think that at all. Yeah, yeah. That's tough. In the great words, speaking of great philosophers, was it Wittgenstein or Dave Mason who said, there ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy, we, it's just you and me and we just disagree? Yeah, David Dave Mason. It was Mason. <laughs> Great English philosopher Mason. So, um, oh, Michael, not helpful. The whole. I'm allergic to your hound dog. Sneezing all the time. That is funny. Oh, huh? and he's giving me asthma. Get him out of the sorority. Please. No, bad rhyme. No rhyme. Damn it. Have Al Franken push on her chest. That's pretty funny. That's funny. Yeah, the experiment in capitalism is over, so let's just wish it a fond farewell. <laughs> Among other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. To those who were digging my political grave so that they could jump into my seat, I know who you are, and I won't forget you. Hey, a threat on the way uh, way out of the courthouse from Senator Menendez, who the, the, the jury couldn't come up with a verdict, so they said, eh, what are you going to do? Let's go home. That's the way to move on, a vow of vengeance, sweet vengeance. And so it's pretty obvious, I think, to anybody that he was doing things that most Americans don't think is cool. As a U.S. senator. For a morally reprehensible character who was his friend. But he used the friend defense, and just doing favors for friends is not against the law, and it's just a coincidence that that friend gave him whole bunches of money for his campaigns and that sort of stuff. Uh, that's the friend defense. Apparently that was enough for some of the jurors. Anyway, Menendez Most also... Them, 10 out of 12. Yeah, they they were hung on not acquitting him. They were very close to acquitting him. There's just a couple of people that didn't want to. Right. It wasn't hung the other direction. Right. But anyway, he went on to say certain elements of the FBI, FBI and our state cannot understand or even worse accept that the Latino kid from Union City and Hudson College can grow up to be a United States senator and be honest. That's what it was, racism. And on that note, because I want to go a little that's farther why on that. Every, that. That's why this trial happened is because they will not accept that a Latino kid, I didn't even know he was Latino, uh, a Latino kid became a U.S. senator. We've got to stop that from happening. Yeah, that's what was driving all this. On really? That, on that note, let's welcome Kajah Whitehouse, New York Post legal reporter, back to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Kajah, how are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're fantastic. Remind me, please, the name of the prominent New York politician in the State House who was just exposed as a giant crook. Are we talking? Who are we talking? Uh, he about? was like I'm the leader. Sure. He was the leader of the state house. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I remember Anthony. that story. Oh, Shelly Silver. Shelly, yeah, Shelly Silver. There, a Jewish fellow. So apparently, they won't let a young Jew rise up to the. And how about Bob McDonald? He's actually the... kind of old, but well, right. Exactly. Well, he was young. It's they ageism. couldn't. I guess it's ageism. Well, exactly. Or how about Bob McDonald, the Irish governor of Virginia, who was convicted and is upheld, and then finally the Supreme Court. Apparently, they're down on Irishmen reaching the state house as well. That was one of the most pathetic. Fake invocations of racism I've ever heard in my life. But having said that, uh, what's your reaction to the outcome? 
So I would have thought that the jury would have at least uh, convicted him on one count, which is the false filing false documents because he didn't disclose these gifts on his Senate financial disclosure forms. I would have thought that was a shoe in. And I was pretty shocked that that they didn't even convict him on that. Um, But it is, you know, to be fair to the jurors, it is true that there was no smoking gun. Um, you know, a lot of cases that I see, they have sort of a key witness or some or an email that says, hey, let's do this now. And ha, ha, ha. Let's, you know, uh, there's a case coming up in New York where they're laughing about ZD because those are bribes and it's a reference to the Sopranos. In this case, there was no smoking gun. And everybody they called sort of said, we think this might be normal and we're not sure or we can't comment. And it was so it was a very circumstantial case. So I guess. You know, on the cynical view, it's, you know, you now anybody who has a good friend, you can just claim they're your good friend. If you could prove to the jury they're your good friend, you could take whatever money you want and do whatever favors you want. Um, but in the, you know, defense of the jury, it's true. They had no smoking gun. You know, it's I'm struck, though. It's funny because that term gets thrown around and a juror. I saw an interview with the jury use that very term. We need to remember and maybe remind juries the term a smoking gun is is it's it's meant to be ridiculous. It's evidence so incredibly clear and obvious. It's like the guy's holding a bloody knife. That's not uh, that's not evidence. That's a confession. Um, and so the lack yeah, of a quote a unquote point. smoking gun. Of course, there's not a smoking gun. There's never a smoking gun. Right. But but I have actually been on a jury that the prosecution was so sloppy. A lot of the jurors said, I'm not going to convict this guy of anything. Never mind the major counts. We're throwing all of this out. The government's got to do a better job. F them. And I have a feeling that's what the jury was thinking. And I think, you know, it would have helped the government a lot if they were able to show how slimy, you know, this doctor fellow was. He got con- he's been convicted of Medicare fraud, but none of that came up, Right. Also, so that wasn't allowed. So we all know that. Okay, that, that's helpful we to know. We all know that, right. The but the jurors didn't know. Well, one of the jurors at least didn't even know what a U.S. senator was. <laughs> Did you hear that, that question of the judge? Well, well, to be fair to the juror, it was kind of funny, but to be fair to the juror, they were asking, what is the definition of a U.S. senator according to the defense? Because the defense was trying to say, Oh, if you're a senator, you're allowed to help anybody with anything at any time. And why wouldn't he help this doctor with something he'd help somebody else with? Uh, You know, I'm not sure he really would have helped other people get their young, hottie girlfriends into the country. Um, (laughs) You know, knowing that they're married and they have a wife and having gone to their daughter's wedding. I don't think anybody would have. But again, that's where the, the government fell short. Why didn't they bring up the fact to the jury? We all know these were his girlfriends. Why didn't the jury know? How did the jury not hear about this? Yeah. And how are these women not questioned about what was your relationship with Dr. Melgan? Isn't he married, et cetera, et cetera? You know, but it's these interesting little things that sort of paint a real picture. If, if, the, 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 if the friend defense works in this case, it, it sex, sets a heck of a precedent. So you can donate a lot of money to somebody's campaign. They do things that are clearly uh, they're using their office to benefit you. But it's it's not because of the money. It's just because you're friends. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's also, there also were timing issues. Oh, well, I've been riding, you know, giving a ride to my private jet for a while. And, you know, the private jet ride trip didn't exactly coincide with a favor. So, therefore, you can't connect the dots. Oh, my you God. Yeah. You're kidding. The defense. Yeah. Wow. 
So um, you uh, give you give the senator rides on your jet for years so that when you need something, you can ask for it and you'll likely get it. So if it doesn't happen that night or the next day, it doesn't count. Okay. So uh, it's right. worth mentioning. Kajal Whitehouse of the New York Post is on the line. It's worth mentioning that a, in April of this year, a Florida jury found this uh, Melgan character, the side doctor, guilty of stealing up to one hundred and five million dollars from taxpayers. $105 million. But the jurors didn't yeah. know that. Well, right, exactly. The jurors didn't know that. All they heard was, oh, you know, the senator tried to help him out with this bill um, for policy reasons, and he never succeeded. He didn't get anywhere. So so no harm, no foul. But the reality was this guy was, yeah, cheating taxpayers. And he's been convicted, and he's now in jail. I just want people to bear it in mind as they hear uh, Bob Menendez's indignant appeals to racism or justice or whatever, what he was doing and with whom. Now, another thing that has come up, but federal prosecutors didn't run with this because they weren't sure enough or couldn't use it, the underage prostitute thing that the Senate Ethics Committee could look into. Evidently, some of their uh, hottie parties may uh, have included underage prostitutes in the Dominican Republic. Are you following that angle of it at all? So I remember hearing about that and that it had been debunked. Um, okay. So I'm not sure that's, that's a, you know, certainly when it comes to Menendez, I don't think that's true. There's never been any indication that even though he, he, this Melgan guy can be kind of sleazy with the, you know, women thing. There's, there's been no hint that Menendez of, of Menendez being tainted by that, except okay. in so far as he's been willing to help his friend with it. A good friend. He's a good man. He's got a lot of redeeming <laughs> qualities, this Dr. Melgan. Kajal Whitehouse, New York Post uh, legal reporter. Hey, uh, great to talk to you again. Thanks for uh, spending a couple of minutes. We know how busy you are. Thank you, guys. It's good to talk to you. Thanks. Good playbook now for all politicians, though. Um, as long as there's no email out there specifically saying, I'm going to give you this money if you can find a way to approve my building project. As long as there's no email specifically saying that, you're, you're in the clear. I, okay, enough said. Enough said. The juror wasn't bothered by the hotties thing? I thought, you know, a bunch of women on the jury might really be bothered by that. Did they get to use any of that or... I don't know. The, oh, getting the the hotties in? Yeah, him using his office to uh, to, to to help them out with immigration. Well, I'm sure old to Bob get the Menendez. young models from other countries in for his uh his but his married buddy. Right, right. Well, I'm sure he had some good defense lawyers, and they were able to spin it pretty successfully. You know, the the immigration system's a mess. These gals just wanted to come over for a little visit, a little tourist visa, something like that. They're getting held up in the paperwork. I said to my buddy, "Yeah, I'll look into it." That's it. What what bribes? What are you talking about? You think because he wasn't on uh, on trial for you know uh, conspiring to admit hotties? <laughs> You'd think he'd be in a tough spot, as George Clooney yeah. said in uh, "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou." This is a tough spot. Damn it, this is a tough spot. But uh, you'd think he'd be in a tough spot since the way he got out of this was we're such good friends. That I just was doing him a favor. It's not because he gave me money. We're such good friends. You'd he think gave it'd be me a... money because we're good friends. You'd think that that would be a problem since his good friend is 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 a convicted crook stealing hundreds, a hundred million dollars in taxpayer money. You'd think you wouldn't want that as a really good friend. I think it's the biggest case of Medicare fraud in history. And but the, for some reason that those dots aren't connected. 
Well, and, and you're such good friends with a guy who stole a hundred million dollars with the taxpayer money and gave you three quarters of a million dollars to your campaign funds. Damn, you oh two my. must have really hit it off. Damn, but this is a tough spot. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm you, a Dapper Dan man. You can't be <laughs> cynical enough. You uh, can't be. You'd have to work on it. You have to go to the cynical gym four hours a day, like some sort of Olympian. To get in cynical shape to be cynical enough. And then he drops the race card. People just can't stand that a, a Latino kid became a U.S. senator. Oh, are you freaking kidding me? You, you, just, oh, my God, your, your, your cojones are so giant. You must have to get special pants. Right, <laughs> right. He's got to have a specially made car seat to drive <laughs> with his gigantic balls saying something like that. But it's it just astonishing. It worked, and he's gonna. It how, worked. How long will work he work this? Huh? How now long, I'm working Al Franken's side of the street. <laughs> how long will he stay a U.S. senator? As long as he wants. Exactly for the next thirty years, or however oh, long he wants. It's conceivable he gets primaried. The guy who the guy who held the seat before him. I don't want to get too deep into New Jersey politics. I lived there as a kid. My family's from there, so I kind of follow it. The guy who had it before him is probably a crook. Yeah. So, and he's running again. Torricelli, his name is. So, I don't know. No! No, forget about it! <laughs> so, what's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, you heard it first on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Another woman sharing her creepy encounter with Senator Al Franken. And Tesla vehicles getting a whole lot bigger and faster. And are you ready, my friends, to deal with Blackout Wednesday? Stories coming All up right. minutes from now. So we got Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and now this is a new one that Blackout they're trying to get going. Wednesday. I mean, the other two are dumb, but this one, okay. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Prominent NASA scientist says he expects to find life on another planet within 20 years. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? In most of our lifetimes, they will find life on another planet. Blow your mind. God willing. Got another 20 years. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, you heard it first on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Another Al Franken accuser coming forward. Longtime San Francisco Bay Area radio personality, Melanie Morgan saying she is more than willing to testify to Congress about her run-in with the Minnesota senator. Morgan telling A&G about a TV talk show appearance where she and Al Franken disagreed on some points. Then after the show, she said he followed her out to her car very upset, and that's when she drove off. And then I discovered the next day and several days afterwards that he had got my phone number from the show producer, and he started calling me, stalking me, harassing me about this point. And it totally freaked me out. I was terrified. It really scared the living hell out of me, guys. Finally, Morgan said she had enough. The final conversation that I had with him was, if you don't leave me alone and stop calling me, I'm going to make an official police report. And, and I'm not kidding around here. Just leave me the hell alone. That's weird behavior. That is definitely weird behavior. I didn't realize he's got that rep in D.C. that he's no. got. Um, Bully. Yeah, yells at his staff all the time. It's nasty. Huh. Well, a lot of humor comes from anger, you stupid idiot. So, um, <laughs> he's an angry little man. <laughs> Tesla is unveiling its new electric 18-wheeler. CEO Elon Musk introducing the Tesla Semi at an event in L.A. last night. The electric truck has a range of 500 miles. Its total operating costs will be lower than a diesel truck. 
and Musk went out of his way to highlight the truck's advanced safety features. The truck will automatically stop jackknifing because it's got independent motors on each wheel and it'll, it'll dynamically adjust the torque on each wheel so that jack, jackknifing is impossible. A truck's going to go into full production in 2019 and Musk also unveiled the new Tesla Roadster. He calls it the fastest sports car ever made, claiming it has a top speed of 250 miles an hour and will go from 0 to 60 in less than two seconds. Wow, 0 to 60 in under two seconds. That's good, because I have places to go. That is insane. We have a couple of science-minded listeners who repeatedly email us and say, Elon Musk is a showman, and he's a punk. There are other technologies, and they, they sent a couple of pictures yeah. of prototypes. It'd take too long to find of uh, other cars that have a certain technology in all the fibers of the body of the car. And they, they function as a charging system or something like that. It's way better than the whole Tesla model. And Can they you say, buy them? Are they out and available? They're or? just prototypes. Mm, well, okay. Mm. Until it's until it's somewhere to be purchased. I don't know if that matters to me. Well, there's no space aliens to be purchased, but you were excited <laughs> yeah, about that story a minute right. ago. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Got him, didn't I? You did. Got him. Before gathering with family on Thanksgiving to share togetherness and gratitude for your blessings, more and more people are taking the night before to go out and get blitzed. Blackout Wednesday, the Ah. unofficial pre-Thanksgiving boozy holiday, also known as Drinksgiving. Sean, you're uh, nodding your head. Uh, I'm I'm assuming you've uh, experienced this because I know I did back... Back before I had kids and stuff like that, yeah, yeah the, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, very common. Everybody's back in whatever town you oh. live in. You're, yeah. you're off the next day. There's nothing really going on till afternoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you're looking for the chance to take another uh, possible romantic swing at somebody that you missed the connections with in high school, that is the night to do it. <laughs> you're back in town. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to do. Wait They're a gonna minute. Be at the same bar. Pro tip for you there. Good one. There you go. So enjoy your drinksgiving this year. Oh, my year. God. How are you? What you been doing? And mace right in the face. Right. No, no. Oh, you remember. <laughs> Not if you play right. <laughs> All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. I, have, I guess time doesn't heal all wounds. <laughs> <laughs> I have spent some Thanksgivings quite hungover, yeah, and that, that really sucks. He's got that great meal in front of you, and maybe going to drink that day. So, yeah. Well, and I have some unpleasant memories back when we had to work that Friday after Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Where the wine would flow at dinner, and then after dinner, and then after that. And then, and then you know, it's 2 a.m., and I realize I'm on the air at 6. Yeah! We should uh, hit you with the death of capitalism in America, <laughs> among other things. Yeah, that could have been our lead, really. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in the Kenworth pulling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. Yeah. We just heading for bear on I-10, about a mile out of Shaky Town. I says, Pigpen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. <laughs> Cause we got a little Senator from New York, female, says Bill Clinton should have resigned over the Monica Lewinsky thing is getting uh, a, a lot of attention, and I think it should. It's a pretty big deal. Here's a piece um, from Caitlin Flanagan in The Atlantic, reckoning with Bill Clinton's sex crimes. Are we going to believe his accusers? And across the aisle? And it could should cross the aisle. His accusers were as believable as Roy Moore's. Sure, Juanita Broderick's incredibly compelling. Yeah. 
And and she says he raped her. Across the aisle, and it should cross the aisle, Donald Trump's accusers. There are more than a dozen of them. Compelling, first-person, specific accounts, times, places, friends and relatives said, yes, she came and told me immediately. Every bit as compelling as the Roy Moore stuff. So what do we do with all this? I don't know. I don't know. And should Bill Clinton have resigned? I wonder if you put that to a, to a, a poll today, how that would turn out in this current atmosphere of you have to lose your job if you've done that sort yeah. of thing. And in, in some cases, you should. Definitely. But a president of the United States. Well, it's an amazing sociological change, and I know we have something else to get to, but um, it, it was pointed out that Joy Behar famously called Clinton's accusers bimbos and sluts. Oof. I think it was sluts. Wow. And, if you did that now, you would lose your job if and, you said that about Roy Moore's accusers. And then Caitlin Flanagan mentions the notorious 1998 New York Times co-op. I'm sorry. I'm trying to read too fast. Notorious 98 New York Times op-ed by Gloria Steinem must surely stand as one of the most regretted public actions of her life. It's slut-shamed, victim-blamed, and age-shamed. It urged compassion for and gratitude to the man the women accused. Moreover, uh, it characterized contemporary feminism as a weaponized auxiliary of the Democratic Party. Since we're on this topic, uh, we might as well roll. Kirsten uh, Gillibrand or Gillibrand is the senator from New York, and she's got Hillary Clinton's old seat, which is, I guess, just ironic. But um, on Thursday, went to a place that few Democrats have dared to go when it comes to allegations of Bill Clinton's sexual assault, calling out Bill Clinton, asked directly by the New York Times if she believed Bill Clinton should have stepped down when he was going through the whole Monica Lewinsky thing, Ms. Gillibrand took a long pause and said, yes, I think that is the appropriate response. So then I'm watching MSNBC this morning, and uh, Mika Brzezinski, who's become a, a bit of a leader of the whole uh, uh, up-with-women movement, whether it's um, uh, wages or this sexual harassment stuff, she said she was saying at the time, I don't remember it because she was a nobody back then, she at the time believed Bill Clinton should resign over it mm. and and still continues to believe that that was the appropriate response. And she and she said, I think the the Clintons, the the days of tiptoeing around the Clintons on this issue is over. That seems clear to me on MSNBC. Right, they're they're saying that, mm-hmm. and and she's saying the New York senator's right. Bill Clinton should have resigned. Wow, that is a change. That is a see. There were were there any Democrats calling for Bill Clinton to resign at the time? I don't remember it. Anybody in office? Very I don't few. remember anybody. Well, and who was his attack dog? Discrediting victims, Hillary. And I'm not sure if I think it would be a good idea. If if the President of the United States has an affair with his intern, not, I mean, if he rapes her, that's one thing. Right. But has an affair with his intern, seem to be you know willing on both sides, and then you get into the whole power, he's a powerful man, does she feel like she could say no? I don't know. That whole thing. But, you, boy, you start booting presidents out of office? Yeah. And the whole administration, everything that goes with it? Right. Oof, that's a disruptive force on the planet. And our enemies would take advantage of it. They absolutely would. For instance. As opposed to you vote him out of office. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Quick transition, because we've teased it a hundred times. It's important. The stuff sent along by Craig, the Obamacare lawyer. Go ahead if you want. Another sea change. Yeah. Talking about how the things change so amazingly fast in this country. So as recently as, I'm going to go way back. See if you can remember. Do you remember the year 2013? Oh, boy. Before the Apollo missions. (laughs) The baseball was in the dead ball era. Disco ruled the charts. In 2013, 
Is it the responsibility of the federal government to ensure that all Americans have health coverage? That was uh, 42% of the country believed that. It was 56% of the country did not. So it was a 14-point win of no, it is not the responsibility of the federal government to ensure that all Americans have health coverage. That, since 2013, has flip-flopped completely. It is now 60-39, a 21-point win for, yes, it's the responsibility of the federal government to ensure that Americans have health coverage. Which is a 35-point swing. And it's gone that far since 2013, and unless you think the extrapolation is going to stop, and I doubt it will, it'll be 70% by next year. Yeah. That is a major change in uh, the way people view uh, the role of federal government in their lives. Mm-hmm. It is. In, in a couple of years. And, and you know, that doesn't even allow for counties, states, whatever, to take control of it and do what's right for their people. No, it's got to be the federal government, which is really interesting and troubling. Then you look at, for instance, the state of California. Uh, Craig sent along a uh, a pie chart, which is my favorite sort of chart, especially this time of year, <laughs> that shows all the uh, health care spending, the funding in California. 52% of all the spending on health care in California is from the federal government. Another 20% is state and local government. It's actually 19%. So we're at 71% is taxpayer spending 16 percent is employers with your employer contributions and the rest of it which for is, those of you who are, who are working which is interesting because that's what i've had my and whole life and right. now i'm that much of a minority and 13 percent individual or household uh, employee contributions and folks who are self-insured etc so again the government is doing 71 percent of the spending on health care, which means tax dollars taken from some people and spent after all the bureaucrats and the government wastes and takes their share. What's left, they then spend on health care. And that's what everybody wants, apparently, or or at least a majority at this point. When when 60 percent of Americans and it'll be 70 by next year, I don't see why this chart's going to slow down. When that many Americans think it's the role of the federal government to make sure everybody's got uh, their health care is taken care of. There's got to be a lot of people lining up to say government-run health care, right? Well, sure. That's why the Republicans' efforts to repeal and replace was so weak. It was so tepid. Something that was really unthinkable 10 years ago. I mean, there's no way you could run on that. Mm -hmm. We're doing socialism. That's one thing we will not put up with in America. Now, I think that's going to be by far the leading opinion on health care. Is it weird that all issues are changing so fast? Some of them, I think, you know, that's fine. But like marijuana, gay marriage, and now this health care, where things have flip-flopped dramatically in just a couple of years, does that make us a crazy uh, a, a country of crazy people? The <sighs> things are changing so fast? Or is that a good thing? Mm, well, it's both. It's both. It's a dangerous thing. You know, that's why uh, democracy is a terrible idea. Republic's a really good idea. Democracy's a terrible but idea. These kind of things used to happen over decades. Right. Where, th- where it might move 5%, 10% over 30 years. Not completely flip-flop in a couple of years. Well, it's like the discussions of uh, economic dislocation. The problem isn't the change, it's the pace of change. Well, it's especially the pace of change. And if you're talking about major uh, mores, sociological beliefs, that what forms up a culture, yeah, changing it that fast is going to cause some real disruptions and some real unhappiness and, and instability. 
So I don't know what you're going to do. World keeps spinning. Well, the health care argument, I think, is over. We're, we're headed full on toward uh, government health care. Well, shut up already. Yeah. Huh? What All are right we talking then. about it for? You're listening uh-huh. to the Armstrong and Getty Show.